At Asda Opticians, our mission is to offer affordable and accessible optical services and products to all, without compromising on quality, service or care. With opticians in 156 of our stores across all four nations of the UK, and with over 350 professionals working with us, we're helping our patients to save money so they can live better. Our unique pricing structure allows our professionals to focus on what they do best, looking after their patients. We're always looking for great professionals to join us, so to understand more, go to www.asda.jobs. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking Optics, the podcast brought to you by Optician. I'm Simon Jones, the magazine's editor. Joining me for this episode is BCLA president Neil Ritalik. Neil and I talk about all things contact lens related, from how the BCLA responded to the challenges of the pandemic, to whether there should be tighter regulation on contact lens sales. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And please don't forget to like, share and subscribe. It gives me great pleasure to welcome BCLA President Neil Ritalik to Talking Optics. Uh, Neil, thanks for joining us. Uh, Maybe you could start by telling everyone a little bit about your career up to now and how you've arrived at uh, BCLA Presidency. Thank you for inviting us, Simon. Yeah, and that's a, a lovely way to start. So I started my optometry degree in Manchester. And while I was a student there, I actually got the opportunity to go to one of the BCLA conferences. And that really ignited my passion in contact lenses and wanting to get involved in that. I remember at one time thinking maybe one day I could be on that stage myself. Following that, I've done quite a few different roles. So I've had the luxury of um, almost a portfolio career in that regard. So I've worked within retail optics um, for a head office in professional services roles. And I've also done some contact lens industry roles and some roles within academia as well. And my latest role is actually head of professional development with Specsavers. So what makes you so passionate about contact lenses? I mean, the thing is with contact lenses is, is they can make a difference beyond just giving someone the correction of sight. So when you do surveys and you ask contact lens wearers what are the benefits of them, they also include some of those emotional factors as well. And interesting, when you ask a spectacle wearers, they don't seem to fully appreciate all of those benefits that contact lenses could provide them until, you know, they experience wearing them themselves. And in that regard, you know, they can make a difference to someone's life. And um, for some people, they say it actually improves their performance in certain tasks, whether that's a sport or whatever, because of, you know, reduced restrictions and practical benefits that of not having a frame on the face. But ultimately, it just gives people the freedom to pick what eyewear they want that day, whether that's a glasses or a contact lenses. So it's just giving people the opportunity to best suit their needs. Uh, so you're coming to the end of uh, your term as BCLA president. Um, what have been the main challenges for the BCLA during the pandemic? 
Well, it's certainly been a very exciting journey. I think like all businesses and, and charities, the pandemic gave a chance to reflect on how things can be done. And the biggest advancement we made was obviously in providing digital offerings um, because a lot of our offerings before was geared towards face-to-face events because people like to network and, you know, hands-on practical stuff. So it was really about how can we um, provide the education in, in that different format. So we invested in a new learning platform that opened up capacity. And actually we appointed global ambassadors because the BCLA is, is a global brand and that allowed us reach in other countries, especially when you've got virtual um, sessions. The other area where we needed to help was in providing guidance. So there was a lot of controversy about hand washing and what could you or couldn't you maybe do with contact lenses. And there was a group of us who got together to really help produce some guidance in some of those areas that quite nicely have been taken up by other professional organisations as well um, and quoted quite often. Mm. I mean, so the wider contact lens industry faced some challenges as as well, like you mentioned there about, uh, you know, hand washing and uh, potential concerns around transmission. Um, How has the sector responded and and, has it fully recovered yet? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, interestingly, contact lens sales didn't dip to the same extent as maybe spectacles or or other in retail industries because you know there was always a need still there um so there wasn't that much recovery in that regard um but there certainly was challenges and i think people are back to pretty much where they were from before pandemic levels i mean there's obviously been interruptions to supply but that's also come from other things that have been going on in the world as well um but i think people have been working hard the other aspect is probably some of the products that were due to be launched or had been launched have been revisited because, of course, launching in the middle of a pandemic where you can't visit people face to face to really, you know, um, showcase those things has, has come about as well. But I think early on, it was quite quickly realised that actually, even though there was a potential route for transmission in the conjunctiva in the tear film of COVID, that actually that risk was very minimal and small. And there's actually a a team, um, including Lyndon Jones, who did a nice paper that was published in Clay that actually really mapped out actually what are our thinking with COVID and contact lenses and what's potential risk and what's not. Um, And it was, of course, one of the most downloaded papers at the time. But I think that really helped provide some reassurance for the profession. The other aspect was how do you give people the ongoing care? Um, So, of course, if you can't bring people in in a red situation for an aftercare, can we utilise some of the virtual technology and have consultations that way? So I think there was a lot of debate around those sort of things. Um, But from what I've seen, most people have gone back pretty much with contact lenses to you know, the face-to-face approach. And changes that were introduced by the GOC uh, regarding... uh prescriptions have gone back to normal now now that we're out of uh, a red phase which is encouraging because that was uh, could have opened up a can of worms uh, about supply yeah and it was nice yeah it was nice that we could con- find a way to continue the supply for people so that they could get you know what they needed to be able to carry on with their lives and see um, but of course everything's about balancing risk as you as you were aware One part of the contact lens sector that's really grown uh, in the post-pandemic landscape is uh, myopia management. What are the main things optometrists should be mindful of when prescribing contact lenses for myopia? I think the first thing to be mindful of is is make sure you understand what evidence is out there and to take an evidence-based approach. So there's a wealth of literature now on myopia management. (laughs) There's been so many publications lately, but you really need to make sure you're confident in what you're saying and what you're recommending. 
And I think it's not the products that you probably need to get your head around. They're quite straightforward and there's lots of choices now and they're growing, like you said, rapidly. It's more about how you're going to communicate those to um, the child and also the parent and not overpromise or um and it, i think until you do it you you have got to think really carefully about the language you use um because this is a bit new to us because we're used to providing site correction well this is management this is treatment you know it, it's a slightly different ball game to what we've been used to in the same way ip is in in regards to therapeutic treatment of ocular disease what about the case that practitioners need or should be mentioning uh, myopia management to patients and, and not doing so, you know, is, you know, bordering on ne- negligence? Yeah, it's a, a really good question. Um, I mean, we've got to keep up to date with our knowledge and skills. You know, that's part of the, one of the GLC um, standards of practice. And in that, we need to make sure that we give full recommendations to people, you know, not just for consult lenses, but spectacles and all of these things, even if we don't feel that we would confidently offer those services at the moment in our practice ourselves. So you're absolutely right. We need to be mentioning these things. We need to be making sure people are aware of all the options of care for them. Um, but then we need to think about where we would signpost them to if we're not going to provide those ourselves. Mm. And what about the role of parents in uh, in myopia management? How important is it to give them a realistic uh, idea of you know potential myopic increases over time without frightening them? I think you've hit the nail on the head there. The last thing you want to do is frighten people. And um, you know, I think what you really want to do is, is make sure that in as customer-friendly language as you can, that they understand what they're going to potentially gain from having these treatment options. Um, And we can't guarantee because everything's built on probabilities, averages and all of those things. So I think taking it one step at a time, talking about the short-term benefits rather than worrying about potential risk of pathology later um, is is probably the best step to go. But also using resources, you know, picture says a thousand words. So if you can show something on an app or a tool that can help them um, is really beneficial. And has the development of uh, spectacle lenses for myopia management uh, thrown a spanner in the works for contact lenses? Yeah, and I think it's really nice, actually, that there's more options available for people because, you know, everyone's got different needs. So the fact is, is that spectacles complement the offering, that you can have contact lens offerings, you can have spectacles. And of course, you know, we've got therapeutics on the cards with atropine, you know, along the way. And I imagine in the longer future, as we understand more, um, we'll be offering combined therapies. Um, and a bit in a similar way when laser surgery first came out you know you need to know about all the different ones to make the best recommendation at asda opticians our mission is to offer affordable and accessible optical services and products to all without compromising on quality service or care with opticians in 156 of our stores across all four nations of the uk and with over 350 professionals working with us we're helping our patients to save money so they can live better Our unique pricing structure allows our professionals to focus on what they do best, looking after their patients. We're always looking for great professionals to join us, so to understand more, go to www.asda.jobs. The Love Your Lenses initiative was uh, taken back by the BCLA uh, during the pandemic. How important are public-facing awareness drives and, and how do they promote the role of the optometrist? I think it's really important that the public know about what services are on offer and how to access care. And the nice thing about the Love Your Lenses campaign is it was a real opportunity to help people understand both the benefits of contact lenses and how to get the right care, you know, to look after their lenses. And this all goes back to the fact that if you look across the literature, 
when people have contact lenses, they're not always very compliant with them in certain areas. And that and even though we have more um, research available, all it's telling us is, is that the behavior and trends are the same as they were nearly 135 years or so ago when they were first introduced. The only real spike of change you've seen is actually due to a global pandemic, hand washing suddenly jumped from 50% to 90%. And that shows the impact, you know, of um, these mass campaigns, you know, that are, are, are that are out there. Um, so there is something that we need to do here, but we also need to do it and our learnings were not to do it in a scaremongering way to say you are at risk of eye infection, but actually to promote the motivators of having contact lenses and actually how they may feel if they couldn't have the contact lenses for some of those activities because performance weren't there by not being compliant. So we tried to make it more fun, spin it around a bit uh, and more engaging. And it worked. You know, we had a, a huge increase in the number of practitioners, you know, getting involved with the Love Your Lenses campaign um, and, and really sh showcasing those messages. Is it uh, likely that the number of patients complying with hand washing will, will fall again now that we're moving out of the pandemic yes i mean i had similar thinking and as i've been doing as you can imagine lots of presenting <laughs> of uh, my various roles one of the things i've said is is once you've changed a habit how do you maintain that and how do we take learnings from that to change other habits and i think you know that that is ultimately down to us to understand how can we best influence the habits but it's not just a problem for us it's people with compliance with medicine you know for all general um, conditions um but i think this comes down to really making that connection with the individual and having a variety of different ways in which we can get those messages across using digital as well as you know verbal and and, and written resources and just reminding people, you know, consistency is key, as, as you know. Uh, you touched upon it earlier, but uh, some independent practices have struggled getting lenses uh, from manufacturers uh, in recent months. Uh, and they've had to actually go to online suppliers in order to fulfill their, uh, you know, their patient uh, requirements. With that in mind, do you see the role of the optometrist uh, changing in the future of contact lenses? Or are they still very much you know the gatekeeper yeah it's really interesting and I, I think it all goes back to even will the optician act change <laughs> because there needs to be some changes there to allow certain things for the regulation in the uk and of course alongside opticians um we we need to acknowledge our consult lens opticians too and and the role of you know what dispensing opticians can go on to do but i think when it comes to online there's a place for online you know in everything people want to buy things through various channels it's just what's the safest way to be able to give people you know the services and products and there was quite a bit of work done and some publications um, that looked at elements of consult and substitution and the general conclusion was there's probably 17 aspects with, with soft lenses where influence by changing certain parameters could impact um, performance so the general conclusion there is that it needs to have, you know, a registrant or a clinician's involvement in making those decisions somewhere along the process. Um, and I think that's the place where we need to make sure we're, we're always in the decision making process as to what is the right lens for that individual. But there is times where we will need to change people's products and should because think their lifestyle evolves, their demands change and also technology does as well. So it's as much for us to keep up to date and understand that. As, rather than if it's not broken, don't fix it. Mm. Is there a risk um, that by making sure online uh, suppliers uh, have inventory over independent practices, is there a risk that uh, you know contact lens manufacturers may lose independent practices as as retail out 
outlets. Yeah, I, I think as there's a, a number of factors, obviously, that will come in, into play here. But I think as well for independents where they're wanting to make sure that they can offer something that's almost unique to them. There are some that only supply to certain, you know, um, groups and wouldn't supply wider afield to try and help them. And you've got, you know, white label, private label equivalents as well that can help people, you know, build their own independent brand. Um, but I think I think it's going to be a case of where everything's got to be working together and, and gel in some way. But of course, nothing happens and change doesn't happen without risks somewhere along the line. Uh, so last week, uh, the General Optical Council uh, said new registration framework for businesses carrying out restricted activities, uh, regardless of where they're based or their ownership, uh, which is something that has affected uh, contact lens supply in, in online retail for, for a long time. What was the BCLA's view in last year's call for evidence? And uh, does online supply of contact lenses need to be policed more? Yeah, so we did our due diligence. We got a working group together who really thrashed out what should our, our response be. And what we wanted to do was just to be able to supply the GLC with all the evidence that's out there on you know, contact lenses and, and prescribing and, and what that could influence that could help. So we, we put together with the papers and, and sent through those links. and. Um, it is really interesting. I think, yeah, it, do, it does need policing, you know, because it is, you know, a medical device. It's going on the eye. Um, but also, I think there probably does need to be some changes to the Optician Act in general, because when it was written, contact lenses was in a completely different place. You know, the majority of contact lenses now soft are daily disposables, which are probably different to what they were back then, where it was more of a reusable world. Some of the, you know, designs, you know, didn't let for as much oxygen and, and all of those aspects. So I think we need to future proof it. But we also need to think about how things are moving with myopia management and, and therapeutic lenses and drug delivery, because where do they sit in the spectrum? You know, and, and how do we make sure optometrists are in those? And it, it's not only going to be done under, say, the care of an ophthalmologist because they're, you know, involved in in, in treatment. So I think it opens up a, a new can of worms. I'm not sure we've got all the answers for it yet, though. Uh, so you mentioned um, the fact that most products now are daily disposable. For the first time in uh, a number of years, we're seeing new products in extended wear. Presumably, this is in response to the notion of daily disposable being at odds with sustainability. How important is sustainability to the contact lens sector? Well, sustainability should be important to all of us. You know, we all have a duty to look after our environment and, and live in, you know, a kind world. Um, and I know that there's been huge moves forward to work on sustainability, whether it's just reducing packaging, whether it's reducing bottle sizes and, you know, where they're sourcing materials from through to what can they do within the manufacturing process overall. Um, and there, there is a place, but there's also a place as to what to do with the lenses at the end and, and recycling in two. And, and you're right, you know, there is this new thinking as to what are the future technologies and, and products that are coming to the market. But there's also, I think, not just a growth in that, but in a growth of other lenses that um, are helping with medical contact lenses as well. So you're actually seeing a surge in, for example, scleral lenses, you know, which were around back in 1930s that have become much more popular. Why? Because they vault off the cornea and, and you're using that tail layer to help with, with medical. And again, you know, bandage contact lenses, which, you know, um, as you alluded to, some lenses that you might sleep in. So there might actually be some increases because we're using lenses for more than just sight correction nowadays. And, and potentially in the future, we've, if you want to embed an electrode in a device, then you're not going to necessarily do that in a daily disposable and throw it away. If you, you know, we don't know what price point these will come in at. But um, so I think 
I think there's lots of exciting things to come. Contact lenses are quite, you know, the, well, they're a very complex medical device. Uh, um, how far are we away from a from something that is approaching a biodegradable contact lens? I don't know how far away it is. Um, obviously, you know, each manufacturer is, will keep their internal, <laughs> um, you know, um, R&D um, quite secretive, you know, um, from that regard. There's certainly commercially available lenses now that are helping with, you know, um, therapeutic aspects, even if it's, you know, allergy and those things. And you can see a lot of noise being made on other areas of, of drug delivery, too. I think the main thing is, is bringing something to market takes a long time because you've got to go certain FDA approval steps and you've got to have a wealth of research to show, you know, the safety of your products. So even when you've got a product developed, <laughs> you've got a whole host of work to bring it to market as well. Should the contact lens sector... Uh, be doing a bit more to discourage uh, improper disposal. I think everyone's got um, a role to play in this, you know, um, down to the end user, through to the manufacturer and supplier, through to the practitioner. And it's all about making people aware. But it, it's equally the same question with recycling in general. <laughs> you know, do we fully recycle at, at home, all the things? But we've got to give people a mechanism to recycle through as well. Because there's one thing saying you should recycle more. But if it's a really complex process to do or it's not clear how to do that, then people are not going to necessarily follow it either. Um, but but equally, this it's quite interesting when you look at some marketing research out there now that actually people favour more eco-friendly companies. Um, you know, they trust them more, they believe in them more in the brand. So if a company wants to survive, should we be that crude and, and be sustainable themselves? They need to be thinking in this remit because, you know, there are people who will choose a more eco-friendly product or, or will certainly have a different view on that if they're not seen to be as sustainable as possible. As someone that's uh, so passionate about contact lenses, um, what potential technologies are you excited about in the future? I really um, think that the exciting area is the way that we're looking at contact lenses beyond the site correction reasons. So like I said, these drug deliveries of, um, and there's so much, for example, dry out, dry eye out there. If we could just have lenses that better release things to help with dry eye, it'd be much better. And glaucoma is another classic example where we're really dependent at the minute on putting drops in the eye. We've known for a long time that's not very effective. Most of the drop doesn't actually get where you need it to be. It ends up overspilling. So, again, if we can really help in this area as well. I mean, the tech side, is it? interesting too because you've got big companies like google and amazon interested in you know and it may be you know not too far to believe that in the future we'll be able to blink our eyes and change our tv channel <laughs> tell alexa what's going on you know all of these sort of artificial um devices are, are being created and, and been discussed um but i think you know where, where could we make the difference we, we want people to be healthy don't we we want them to have the best vision and we want them to see well so i do think we're going to see a lot coming in this medical space uh, so what's in store for the BCLA over the next uh, few months? We've got some really exciting activities coming up. So we can finally get back to a big international face-to-face -face conference. And we've got one on the 9th to 11th of June in Manchester, which we're really excited about. The programme looks fantastic. And, you know, the speakers, you know, are, are real top-notch. You can also get my credentials there as well. So if you achieve certain things, you'll get a certificate. And that can be used as well towards the fellowship in the future, if that's one of your ambitions. Other activities we've got going on, because of the success of the BCLA Clear publications, which have already had over a thousand downloads, sorry, a hundred thousand downloads um, from Clay. And we've been doing lovely series with yourselves at the optician to really bring that to the heart of practice. Um, the next version of that will actually be BCLA Presbyopia. 
and the authors are working hard behind the scenes to write those papers to form those global consensus um, and of course that will be in print in clay as well sounds good uh, neil Vitalik, thanks very much well thank you for having me simon at asda opticians our mission is to offer affordable and accessible optical services and products to all without compromising on quality service or care with opticians in 156 of our stores across all four nations of the uk and with over 350 professionals working with us we're helping our patients to save money so they can live better our unique pricing structure allows our professionals to focus on what they do best looking after their patients we're always looking for great professionals to join us so to understand more go to www.asda.jobs 